and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We are broadcasting today from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Just had a meeting with a group of farmers here talking about some of the issues going on right now in agriculture, including supply shortages, increased prices on things like fertilizer, and nitrogen and what's going on with some of the different uh, nitrogen replacement type ideas that are out there in the industry and and what might actually help increase yields on the farm this year was interesting we we uh, had a little presentation from our research lead glenn hers uh, at the meeting today and he was saying there's more 300 bushel corn that ran through his research combine than had ever happened before and that's pretty cool to see guys doing really, really well. And Glenn gets a chance to work with a lot of really progressive growers and a lot of different farming methods and and techniques being used. And you get to see a lot of success out there this year. Certainly there were a lot of challenges too with some of the weather conditions. So it wasn't wasn't like it was this easy year or anything, but it's great to see people doing well, even when times are tough. All right, we're gonna take questions from our audience today. Let's dive in with our first question. Yep, Uh, my name is Ron. Uh, today in our, our pre- your presentation, uh, you showed that there was a tremendous amount of nitrogen on some of your fields. Now, were those fields previously strip-tilled and then suddenly decided to, to till? Normally, that releases a lot of nitrogen, and I'm just wondering if that was the case in your tests. Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so uh, to, to Ron's point, we had showed some soil test results, nitrate nitrogen test results from our farm this this year. And we had uh, six fields that we, we showed just for an example. We, we had more fields than that that we tested. But we had some fields that were 200 plus pounds of nitrogen left in the field. Uh, Brian, you want to talk, speak to, to tillage on some of those fields? Sure. Uh, so so I, I've got this list up on the screen for anybody who's in our audience right now. But for our listening audience, I'll explain. Uh, there's a field we call Lowell's that's got 136 pounds of nitrogen. And that's after soybeans. That was strip till, that remains strip till. So we never changed, never did any full scale tillage or anything else. Uh, the, the, the next field that I have there, it was just 34 pounds. And that I, I'm not sure which part of the field that was. We have two different parts of the field. One part we just leave strip till and the other part, uh, some low flat ground, we always do tillage. So I'm not sure which part that was, but the results were the same. I know on either part, that's why I just uh, put this particular one in there. All right, and then the last, four fields there. Um, Let's see. We have done a fair amount of tillage on all those other than the very last one that says Olaf's. That has been strip tilled some in the past, but it's been more uh, full-scale tillage than anything lately, right? Well, there, there, yeah, there's a few different things going on there. I like to do strip till in that field, but we've also yep. done some manure application where they've done conventional till with the manure application too. Yep. So I, I, I guess when we analyzed all our fields, and we only gave you some, but when we analyzed all our fields, we didn't really believe that was part of it. But I agree with you 100%. If you have been, let's say, no-till or strip-till for a long time, and then all of a sudden you do full-scale tillage, you will release a whole bunch more nitrogen. That's a fact. But that would not have been the case uh, with any, well, maybe one of these. Maybe that bottom one that we call Olaf's, that's possible. But the rest of them, I, I don't really think that was the case. Good question. All right, take another question over here. Uh, Elvin, I'm from western Yankton County in South Dakota. 
I'm worried about some chemical carryover. Uh, is there anything we should be looking out for? I've got... Um, from I've drought, used, from uh, drought conditions. You because mean. of the drought conditions. Yes, that's correct, Darren. Yep. So that was one of the things that we have talked about a fair amount in the last year that we would just encourage people to be a little more cautious than normal because we have had less than normal rainfall. Now, some areas have gotten a fair amount of rain this fall, so that was good, at least in helping with this whole carryover deal. The other thing that's good is the fact that um, it's November 29th today, and it's 65 degrees outside here. It's unbelievable. Normally, it's okay, a blizzard Okay, for those of you today. listening who are in the southern part of the United States, uh, 65 may not sound very warm. For us, that is incredibly warm at this time of year. So what I'm saying is we had a, an extended fall, and that will give us a little more time. That heat helps break those herbicides down. But nevertheless, if let's say your area is half of normal rainfall, which some areas are, then you have to be concerned about any type of carryover. Our dad talked to us all the time as we were growing up um, about 1976. So all the time, we'd had to hear about 1976. It was the driest year. His story was this, by the way. He said, that summer, boys, we had less rain than the Mojave Desert. And anyway, he just said in the fall, they found dry herbicide granules like ramrod and lasso that we used to use back then. They still found them that had been applied in the spring. And the reason why I even bring this up is I was telling this story when we were doing some, some fall meetings back in, uh, or early fall, uh, back in September, and I was talking to farmers about, you know, guys, I was out walking in our shelter belt in September. You know what I found? Dry fertilizer granules that our guys had spread in our shelter belt in the spring. So it just got me thinking about that 1976 thing, and here's what our dad told us. He said the guys that were the most successful in 1977 went corn on corn, beans on beans, and wheat on wheat. That way they didn't have to worry about the herbicide carryover. And same thing like I'm showing you on the screen here, this nitrogen carryover thing. I mean, look at that. On average, I got four fields. So for our listening audience here, I'm showing four corn fields. And in total, I've probably got, let's see, 300, 500. I probably have 600 acres of corn there. And on average, what do we have? About 250 pounds of carryover nitrogen after corn. And we're expecting to get another 100 pounds out of the organic matter mineralization next summer. I mean, I can raise corn for free. I mean, not entirely for free, but for free on nitrogen, nitrogen. anyway. So that's awesome. When nitrogen costs you a dollar a unit, and I'm going to probably have 300 pounds in every field by the time I figure the organic matter, that's worth a lot. So yeah, and so. The, in the areas, I guess to, to make short of a uh, short answer, in the areas where you had not enough rainfall, I'd be most concerned with anything that you did post that has a lot of residual because it just didn't have enough time yep. to, to get things done. So yeah, if you use especially strong rates of uh, HPPDs, that's yep, something like that, that we've seen a little bit uh, on the yep. carryover. Flexstar uh, in soybeans, uh, another one back to corn or wheat would be Stinger. So we have to worry about these long residual products. Just talk to your agronomist if you use one of those. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. 
How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today we've got a little different show. We're broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And we just had a, a meeting here with a group of farmers talking about uh, concerns about next year's crop and some How about excitement? How about excitement, dear? Yes. I'm excited. Yes. We have good uh, commodity we're excited, prices. We're excited about that, too. I our think chance, we're going to have good yield. Our chance to make money is great. I'm really optimistic for our farm for next year. That is true. But we just got a question from Alvin, <laughs> and he doesn't farm that far away from us. And Alvin said, you know, we put on some Flexstar last year. It's got a 10-month rotational restriction to corn. Should I be concerned about that if I'm going to rotate from soybeans okay. to corn? Yeah, that's a concern because you think about that. Where is Flexstar labeled? Where is it not labeled? Exactly. Well, it's labeled in areas that get rainfall. It's not labeled in areas that don't. And the use rate really varies. Okay. And we just happened to, in eastern South Dakota, be on the border where 12 ounces of use rate is really what we're, we're using here. In other areas of the country, it's 24. Well, we're already using a half rate. What about now when we run into this drought situation, if I used a half rate uh, and that's got a 10-month rotational restriction, how much do I really need to worry about that? When did you put that on by any chance? Was it in June? Well, okay. Yeah, pretty but, early in the season. Okay, but it doesn't make that much difference if you didn't have any rain. And one of the things, I was just looking back at our weather from this last year, and if you don't remember this, June here was terrible. Every day was about 100 degrees. The humidity was awful. So did it really matter if you applied it June 10th or June 20th or June 1st? I would say the humidity 30th? was awful. The humidity was non-existent. Well, I we mean, had low some, humidity. Yes, we had very low humidity. That's what I mean. But anyway, my point is we didn't have the rainfall that we would normally have and even the humidity for, for the growth in, in some of these plants to suck it up because there are two ways that your, your herbicide, that herbicide and most herbicides are going to break down. One is they get used up. So that's where if you've got a super weedy field, you rarely have a carryover issue. That's the one good thing about having lots of weeds. Uh, but anyway, the other thing is if you've got a fair amount of rain and then more uh, 
of each herbicide is going to get into every plant. It's just like we were talking about earlier today with potassium and how not the, the potassium might have been there, just didn't get into the plant well. Well, how it gets in is with water. It's the same thing with herbicides. We want to get that into the plants, get it sucked up, and then it's used up and gone, and we don't have to worry about it for the following year. So I, we're not here to say, oh, all products are going to carry over, or anybody using Flexstar is going to have a disaster. We don't know. We just know this, that we have greater risk the later we apply, typically, and the higher rate that we use. And Flexstar is a product where we have seen white corn tops the following year. And that it, it, by the time you see white, you got a major yield loss. A lot of times when we have low yield loss, you don't even see anything, maybe a little bit of stunting or something else. So we just always encourage people to be careful with these residual herbicides when they're in dry areas like we are. Okay, another question. On the topic of carryover nitrogen, um, yep. is there any beneficial attributes that for soybeans for a follow-up crop? Okay, so if we had lots of nitrogen there, would it benefit the soybean crop? It might benefit it a little bit. We have seen like where we put manure out, sometimes we will have a little bit higher soybean yield, but is that because of the nitrogen or is it because of something else that was in the manure? I don't know. I will say there are quite a few farmers who have lighter soils and lower organic matter who are putting nitrogen on for soybeans in high yield situations and benefiting greatly. So it's possible, but I just know this, if I'm sitting there with 200 pounds of nitrogen, what would I rather gamble on planting corn or gamble on planting soybeans? At this point, I'm thinking, hmm, I'm probably going to gamble on planting corn. I also kind of look at this. Now, I, I'm just going to say this. Don't think that uh, uh, I'm telling you for sure the corn market's going up. But if I was a gambler, I might gamble on the corn market going up even from here because the way I look at it, who wants to plant corn when fertilizer prices are triple from last year? And I don't think gas prices are done going up. And uh, gas and oil. And basically corn prices have to some degree followed oil prices in the past. So I look at those couple of things and I go, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll uh, have an even higher corn price. So that makes me think even more I want to plant some corn where I've got all this carryover nitrogen. And our big talk today was this, if, uh, on nitrogen. If you haven't tested your soil, just please test your soil, and then you'll find out. Maybe you don't have much nitrogen there. But if you do, my goodness, you saved all kinds of money. Because literally, uh, there's one of the fields that I'm showing on the screen here of ours that had 313 pounds of nitrogen found in the top 24 inches. 313 this fall. It's unbelievable. And normally, we don't even test 6 to 24 that, inches. And that's the point that I wanted to bring up. Yep. We, that's why we broke this out, 0 to 6 and 6 to 24, because a lot of times we're out just doing 6-inch soil samples. We're looking for all nutrients, all micros, yep. everything. Yep. And we don't run a whole lot of those deep 6 to 24s. But when we saw nitrate levels coming back so high in the top 0 to 6, I mean, you got 100, 100 150 right. pounds of nitrogen. That was my first thought is, well, wait a second. We should go back out there and see what's down deep yep. so we have some sort of idea. Now, you may think, well, I don't know if I'm going to get all that down 24 inches deep. You may not. You may not. But here we are in South Dakota. Our ground is going to freeze very soon. And it's not going to thaw for about six months. And when it does, as soon as it thaws, we're, we're putting a crop in the ground. So yep. we've got a pretty good shot here in a low rainfall. And sorry, Alvin, uh, low rainfall environment. <laughs> Odds are it might not be much better. Who knows? 
But we are going to lose that end. So I think we're going to get it. All right. All right. Another question here. Yep. Jeff uh, Farm in Southwest Ohio. This morning we had a conversation about alternatives in chemistry and moving across that and, and moving to some other options. What is your thoughts about getting those other options locked in? Are we going to see upward price uh, movements on the uh, alternative options as growers come in and say, I'm not going to use glyphosate, I'm not going to use glyphosate? Okay, so one of the biggest things that we would always encourage you to do is look at your, your downside risk and look at your upside risk, all right? So what if things go down and what if things go up and what are the odds things are going to go down? What are the odds things are going to go up? At this point, I'd say there's a 0% chance that chemical prices are going down between now and spring. They're not going down. Now, will they go up? It depends on the product. We don't know. But I would say this, when I have no downside risk, then why not lock it in? So that's, that's probably how I would look at it. But so I, I'd I, say do, this. I do think that's a great way to look at it is, you know what? There are supplies of these alternative products right now. Yep. As soon as people figure it out, because a lot of folks have just finished up in the field. Right. And they really haven't talked to their ag chem dealer. And believe me, if the ag chem dealer has bad news, like, hey, your price of Liberty went up by three times what it was last year or two times or whatever it's going to be, they aren't really excited to get out and tell everybody about that just yet. So you're right. As soon as we get to the end of the year or the first part of January, and a lot of folks are starting to book some things or, or pick up some products getting ready for next year. Yeah. They, some of those other alternatives that look like there's plentiful supply. Oh, yeah, we've got 1,000 gallons of that. We normally only sell 750. Well, they might sell 2,000 of it this year of that alternative. So you're right. It probably is a smart idea to get after those things. I was just thinking about, what do they say, like the five stages of grief. And uh, one of them is the, is the anger part. And I think we're pretty much all in the anger part yet about the Roundup price, the Liberty price, the 24D price. And we haven't necessarily... Uh, come to the conclusion that, hey, we really need to make a change. And what is that change going to be? Because there are great alternatives. I'm not worried about that. We'll kill the weeds. But yeah, not everybody's figured that out. So we would encourage everybody, all our listeners, everybody here today, start working on your plan and get something lined up here soon. Because I think prices are going to go up in the spring. They might not go up a tremendous amount from here, but they're going to go up, I'll guarantee you. Well, and everybody's worried about the Liberty supply and the Roundup supply because we've heard there's going to be less than there's been in the past. But you think about this, if their price is way up, what's the demand going to be? That's certainly going to curb the demand. So I do feel like by springtime and, and spray season when everybody's spraying, there's going to be plenty of product out there. It's just going to be at such a high price that people aren't going to want. Yep. So we do have something that happened in history not all that long ago to show us what should happen, and that was 2008, where the Roundup price was the same as what it is today. And basically, a lot of the farmers we work with, they just cut the rate in half or didn't spray it and, and used and something else. And added it to a full rate of something else. Right, so, right. Yeah, there's, so there's they used more, right, more of alternatives to his point. And so demand of these other things is going to go up as the Roundup and the Liberty demand goes down. We agree. Well, it is a good discussion to have looking at alternatives when prices are going up. So you can still make money on the farm. We'll talk about more of those alternatives and take more questions from our audience here. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. 
Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, just broadcasting from the Morton Center at the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. I was just telling a story about when uh, Darren and I first started doing this radio show here in Sirius XM eight and a half years ago. We were thinking it was going to be an hour show every week, and it turns out uh, they well, wanted us to do an hour it show is, every but it's day. Every day during the <laughs> week. So, yeah. It, it's uh, well, hey, it's one of those things. We're farm boys. We can, we can, we can handle but, it. But you know, the the thing is, for both Darren and me, we're agronomists. Uh, we farm, and we just we're spending so much of our time before the radio show answering questions, like we've been doing today. Uh, we thought, you know what? Let's make that the show. And so we do take live phone calls. Most days, or not today, but most days we'll take live phone calls. And uh, we, we answer emails that we get from farmers from really all over the world. It's surprising to me, too, the listenership we have, like in Canada. Darren and I farm in South Dakota well, in Canada, the United States. Canada is one thing. Overseas, too, has yep. just been something. And you think about it, uh, when, when there's technology and there's Internet service and, and so forth all over the world, that's, 
any, anywhere someone has internet access, they're looking for agricultural information. How do I raise better crops? How do I do a better job uh, with, with what I'm doing here on the farm? And that that's fun when we connect with farmers from other places because we're not the only place. The United States isn't the only place, or, or I should say North America isn't the only place where the good ideas come from. There are great ideas all over the world. There's fantastic farmers literally everywhere. So if you're trying to get better, you're trying to make a difference, uh, you probably are coming up with some new ideas that someone else hasn't thought of, and yep. that's, that's really cool. But not many people are talking about agronomic issues and how we can get better. It's talking about the average and what's happened in the past and everything else. So hopefully we're able to help you improve the crops and the profits on your farm. Let's take our next question. Uh, my name's Roger. I'm from Colton. Yep. Yep. From hey, South Dakota. You bet. I want to refer you to that uh, nitrogen test there. Sure. Got, okay. uh, the one is uh, extremely low compared to the others. How yes. do you explain that? Well, that's Brian's field. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, but so is the one right above that. But anyway, so we, we had, so there was, okay, so we, we have about, I don't know, 25 fields or something like that. We didn't show you the tests from every single field. Uh, we just, we showed a low and we showed a few highs. We showed a couple out of soybeans, but I'll say this. This fall when we did our, our nitrogen tests, as we were doing all these other soil tests, we found that coming out of soybeans, we had that kind of range of the low was 34, the high was 136. That was kind of a range. Uh, with our, after corn, we had a, a much bigger range. We had as high, the highest one we had on our farm was 313 pounds. It's, yeah, to me, unbelievable. And I didn't show you the lowest one. Uh, I showed four that were relatively high just because that would get you hopefully thinking, get everybody thinking, Maybe I need to test my ground. Maybe I have a bunch of nitrogen there I wasn't counting on. But, to, but specifically to the question, why is the one so low after soybeans? You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, can, I can't explain that. And this is one of the things that we've talked often about where people say, oh, you have a credit for nitrogen after soybeans. We don't believe in that at all because look at the variance right here. We got 136 pounds in one field and 34 in another. And that, that one that we have 136 pounds in, that's lighter soil. Um, you know, the yield wasn't all that much different this year than the, the, no, the other No, no, and you think about this whole soybean credit thing is there's no science behind it. It's just, hey, a rule of thumb. There's probably some end left. Let's just use a number. Well, so we're way past that. For five bucks, you can pull a nitrate test. Okay. Why don't you just pull a nitrate test and know exactly what you have? And we got soil samples in this fall, Brian, that they had all the other nutrients, but they didn't have nitrate test on. Like, well, why didn't your lab run a nitrate test? What do we need a nitrate test for? We're going to put nitrogen on. No, you got to find out what's out there with all these things before you spend any more money. A nitrate test on its own is five bucks, but if it's part of a package, it might be a dollar or two. I mean, it's nothing. But anyway, my theory on why some of the fields are a little more and some are a little less, maybe it was because the year before in corn, we had put a little more nitrogen on than got used. And we also had organic matter mineralization that, that was probably use. a little higher than normal two years in a row because we were as hot as we were. And then we had no leaching at all. We lost none because we had no rainfall. So I, I don't know. There's just a buildup and it didn't go anywhere. Now, thankfully, it, it hasn't gotten wet. So hopefully we can use a bunch of this nitrogen because it's worth a lot of money. So, yeah, we don't, I don't know exactly why. I just know I'm glad I tested. All right. 
Let's, let's hear it. We know, we know this one's coming. <laughs> All right. They put me up to this, Darren. But um, earlier, and I know y'all have been big proponents of tiling, and you got these nitrate tests here. Have y'all ever collected water samples out of the tile to see what they are? Because, mm -hmm. you know, me being from the East Coast, water quality is becoming a big issue Absolutely. everywhere. So I think from a standpoint of the water collecting samples, that could become point source down the road if we're not careful. Yeah, that, that is the concern uh, of, of a lot of folks is well, what's going to be in that tile water. And it's really important to, to think about how that tile is going to work. So for us, like Alvin was talking about how dry it was in his area, just literally a half a mile straight north of our, our Morton Center building here uh, I, on a property that I own, we just dug a hole today. Uh, we're taking out an old building and we, we dug down and it was 10 to 12 feet before they hit a decent amount of moisture in the soil. It was dry. I was taking a video of, of the digging. So I'm like, okay, we're going to hit moisture here pretty soon. Nope, we weren't hitting moisture. So it's pretty dry. So our tile lines on our farm are typically around three feet deep. And what they're going to do is catch that water table coming up from the bottom. So rather than water coming from the top and getting into those lines, it's water that comes up from the bottom that gets in our tile lines that's going to leak. So we, we're going to have to have that water table come up. And right now our water table is down a long ways. So at, at this particular year, we're in good shape. But that's not always going to be the case. And if we have a year like 2018, 2019, that water table was high. And, yes, if we're in those spots, you're absolutely right. We don't want to be applying a bunch of extra nitrogen, having all kinds of extra nitrogen out there that we could potentially lose. So I guess what Brian was kind of getting at here is some of this we didn't even apply. And I know the University of Minnesota had done a study uh, just on fields right across the road from each other to look at how much nitrate was going to be in tile. And so they left a field where they didn't even plant a crop. I don't right? think I don't or part I don't, of a field. I, yeah, I, it was one farmer that we work with who was a cooperator with the University of Minnesota. And I don't know if they even published the data, but he gave it to us. And I thought it was his field that they had okay. divided up. Uh, in different ways. So, yeah, so where they weren't even farming, that's where the most nitrate was leaving because there was nothing well, to use it. Well, and yeah, here we are. It, it was no nitrogen applied is where the most nitrate ended up in the groundwater. Okay, there we and, go. Yeah, and <laughs> Darren, Darren just got excited there. I, I know. I, I, I like telling this story too. But anyway, the, it was no nitrogen. It was normal rate of nitrogen. It was double rate of nitrogen. And so naturally you would assume, oh, the person who put the double rate of nitrogen out in the spring, they'd have the most uh, in the in the tile water. Nope, they didn't because they raised tremendous crop. The crop sucked it up uh, where they had put no nitrogen on. Then there was no crop that was really growing. And so then when the organic matter was breaking down, because he had over 5% organic matter in his soil that was releasing nitrate, there was nothing there to use it. You're, you're so absolutely anyway. right, though, to the point of we okay. want to be smart about this. We okay. don't want to be losing nitrate. We don't want more nitrate in the water. We need to do the soil test. That's a good thing. And you're right. We need to do the testing of the tile water as well. Okay. So what I have on the screen for our audience here at the Morton Center is a uh, water analysis test. And the nitrate level in that is 2.4 parts per million. That's a field that's just a couple miles away here. Yeah, we've done lots of water quality tests and almost never is our water not drinking water quality. So drinking water quality is 10 parts per million of nitrate nitrogen or less. The other big thing to notice is 
Phosphorus is almost always non-detectable in tile water because phosphorus doesn't leach through the soil. Now, on the East Coast, like he's talking about, and by the way, that was uh, David Hewla. He's the world record corn producer, and he's in Virginia. But if you've got light soil, lots of rainfall, and your soil doesn't freeze, you're in a different category. And so for those guys on the East Coast, that's part of the reason why many of them are raising cover crops in the fall. They have to have something growing out there to suck up any nitrogen that might be there. And as long as they have something growing, usually then the tile water is pretty good. But that's where they talk more about using cover crops, more about uh, split applying nitrogen, and I mean like many, many times split applying that nitrogen. We're just in a different category here. I, I mean, a, a year ago, we had 10 inches of total precip over a 12-month period from July 4th to July 4th, 10. That's all we had. There's no possible chance of any leaching in a 20 to 30 CEC soil. So it, it's just, it, it, it's different. And that's why we have to farm different in these different areas with different soil types and conditions. Well, no doubt about it. And we definitely need to be aware of what's going on in the environment. We'll take more questions coming up right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, Tiling Clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, 
Simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Uh, during our break, we were just talking a little more about water quality. And Darren had mentioned a river near us and a big town near us. And uh, without incriminating anyone, I'll just say uh, I have the data right in front of me showing that the town is doing the polluting, not the farmers. The water's pretty darn clean before it ends up in town. And when, once it gets out of town, not so good. So yet farmers always seem to get the blame. So uh, it's a little frustrating to Darren and me, and this is part of the reason why we talk about this all the time. Uh, we're trying to do what we can on the farm uh, to make things better and hopefully help farmers, but we can't control what the towns are doing. And unfortunately, towns get by with uh, polluting and they don't run into the same fines that a farmer would if a farmer did even one one hundredth the amount of polluting. So anyway, let's get to our next question here. Terry from Minnesota. So you're talking about the nitrate testing to find out what you got in your soil at this point. What's a good strategy? Are you grid sampling? Are you zone sampling? How many samples would you pull to feel confident that your general acre out there is represented in your data? Like what's what's an intelligence strategy? So our zero to six inch is one acre grids across our farm. So at, at a zero to six inch level, we're extremely confident in knowing exactly what we've got out there for nitrate levels. The six to 24 inch though, we have not one acre gridded those across the entire farm. We're just doing a few spots on the the six to 24 inch. We don't normally do much for six to 24 inch, just a few to get an idea. What we typically find is for all other nutrients, it's relatively stable. It's more uh, consistent across the field than the zero to six. But when you start talking about nitrate, yeah, then there could be variance. So we just kind of looked at it, gone with averages. And quite frankly, all we're trying to find out now is do we need to put any early nitrogen on or not? We're not really looking at the full season because we're going to go and pre-side dress nitrate test in every single field next summer to find out, all right, did the nitrogen stay there? Uh, uh, you know, how are we sitting? Maybe there's more than we expected. I, I don't know. Maybe there will be less. So I'm not that worried about trying to make every last decision for the whole year. Whereas on the other hand, our P&K, what we've already put out now this fall, we're done. I mean, we might do a tiny little bit of foliar and, you know, just a little bit in furrow or something like that. But I mean, for any type of build or any massive quantity, we're done. And that's our choice for the year. We're done. But nitrate, sulfate, boron, those are things that we'll continue to look at uh, as the season goes along, especially if it happens to be a wet year. If it's a dry year, I'm going to feel much more confident, obviously, in our fall data that, hey, this stuff isn't going anywhere. But, yeah, we get back to a year like 2018 or 2019 with a whole bunch of rain, you just never know what's going to happen. By the way, coming out of those years, we saw lower levels of nitrogen in the fall than we normally would, which is totally explainable because it's leachable. But now what's happened? We've had two dry falls in a row, and our, our levels of all these leachables are pretty high. So it, it's hopefully going to save us a bunch of money. All right. Yeah, there, it's an interesting discussion, though, because a lot of farmers that I've talked to that have complained about nitrogen prices and said, man, they're really high. I know I know my crop price is decent, but I'm going to have to give up all that potential profit I was going to make in these fertilizer prices. That's been a big topic is how do I 
cut back on fertilizer and where do I cut back? And there's just no way that I can give a good answer unless I can see a soil test that we can rely on. And uh, to Terry's point, if you're pulling one soil test for a whole field, I don't have a high level of confidence in that because, well, that just tells me about that area and it can really vary as you move around in that field. So I really do like to see more tests in a, in an area. So whether it's grids or zones, uh, if we can get those tests, we feel pretty confident we know what's out there. That's our best shot of figuring out how do we save money on fertilizer. And of course, when it comes to corn production or wheat production, uh, sorghum production, uh, a lot of these crops where nitrogen is real key, that's a big one. But we're also looking at P&K going into this year. How do we control what our costs are on that? We're going to have a lot of those strategies coming up in January when we get into our Ag PhD Soils Clinic. We're going to do a two-day soils clinic this year just to talk through more of this stuff and give you more take-home strategies. So as we were going through the fall and we were talking about, all right, what things are we going to discuss at our winter meetings? We, we obviously, everybody's asking about the high price of Roundup and Liberty, okay? We all know that in agriculture. Everybody's talking about the high fertilizer prices. We all know that. Seed, pretty flat in pricing. The biggest issue with seed was probably lodging this year. That's not that difficult to fix. You cut your planting population, you raise your K, lodging problem solved, okay? But this one was a little bit surprising to us because I knew we were going to have some carryover nitrogen. But if you would have asked me, I'd have said, ah, maybe 80 pounds, maybe 100 pounds, something like that, we got carryover. But when we have fields that are 200 to 300 pounds, I never would have guessed that. And the thing is, because so few people test for nitrogen in the fall, I, this is the reason why we wanted to talk about this today because we thought, you know, if you haven't tested, at least go test and you'll find out. Otherwise, you're just going to do the same thing you've always done maybe and you say, well, well I, I know I always need 200 pounds of nitrogen for my corn. Just put the 200 pounds on. I'll pay the money, whatever. It's terrible, but I'm just going to do it and have it over with. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I, I was really happy when I saw the results because I was planning to write a really big check this fall for nitrogen, oh, and then we still, didn't have to. There's still plenty of big checks to write, Brian. Don't worry. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to do that. All right, let's take another. But, oh, hey, uh, what, one thing, just to finish up on that, I would say what we decided on our farm was we were just going to take the risk and not lock in any nitrogen this fall, figuring, well, hopefully it'll go down by spring, certainly by, uh, you know, we don't need to apply any until June. Uh, for side dress so if, if we got quite a few months and after seeing what happened in 2008 when the nitrogen price got cut in half from fall to june that's what we're hoping are okay hoping now for, there's, crossing no, our fingers. there's no predictions here no. there's nothing you can bank but on. i'm just telling not... you why we did what we did on our farm okay sorry go ahead and brian <laughs> said he wasn't a gambler <laughs> all right this is, i'm charlie from minnesota um the question i have is i've never done a a nitrate test prior to side dressing. So do you guys go into a 200 acre field and do you do one acre grids or do no. you do four or five samples in different areas or maybe look at soil types? How do you go about yep. doing that? Honestly, stuff? we'll only do a couple of samples per field a lot of times. So, it, but if we've got 20, could, could 20, we do a better job if we were doing yep. more? Sure. But in reality, we're trying to do a lot of fields. We're trying to get results back really quick because that corn's growing so fast at that time. Yep, and we're doing 0 to 24, so we're pulling all the way down to 24 because, I mean, we should have corn roots that are able to pull it 
from down there or through capillary action some could move up in the soil a little bit so we are pulling 0 to 24 we're just doing a couple spots in each field uh, but we're, we're pulling some core we're pull, pulling probably let's call it eight cores for each spot so you pull 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 dump it all in the bucket send that in and, and then test another spot go ahead uh, one more question yep. do you have any faith in those like a green sensor or something that could measure the plants um, level of nitrogen in a plant okay. or something and how that would work. The very first one that was developed was called the Green Seeker, and we tested that with them on our farm. It's probably 15 years ago now. Um, I have a little bit of faith in that, yes, but my fear is by the time it's able to sense that, then what do we know about the plant? It's already run short. So yeah, that's here's, my here's the fear. other thing that's kind of interesting too. So when we have fields that we've applied basically the same amount of fertilizer on and we do a hybrid trial, we see some different colors. And some hybrids are just naturally darker green or lighter green too. And so that, that just kind of made us a little nervous about that. But, but if it's a, a sensing of, all right, here's the standard and here's the check and how much does it vary from the check, it, it's got promise, hey, it's better than nothing. So it's better than just, oh, let's just throw a blanket rate out there and have no test or anything to go by. So, yeah, it, I think some of those technologies are going to be really good going forward. Here's one other thing that I want you to think about. We know that we're in a dry area of the country, and it's very often where we'll go a month in the summer with no rain. So because of that, we can't be late on this nitrogen thing. Some people want to get right to the very end. It's like, oh, I'm just about out of nitrogen now. I'll put some on, and it's going to get into the plant instantly. We can't count on that because we don't have irrigation, and we just don't have consistent rainfall. Yeah, so the further got, east you, you lighter, are. Lighter soils, and you've got irrigation, and you can do and you have lots of irrigation. You have a great water source. Then, then you've got a lot more flexibility different. there, no doubt different. about it. Yep. So, yeah, if I had center pivot or something, I'd be putting a little bit of nitrogen on every time that pivot went across the field. That's what I'd do. But we don't have that. So, yeah, we're trying to be on the early side. And, it, yeah, it, it, at least a couple tests per field, I would say. Obviously, three or four would be better, but at least two, and you should be in fairly good shape. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. 
We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fertilizer prices spiked this year. As you plan your fall anhydrous applications, how will you protect that investment? NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer is the only product with 45 years of proven results. NSERV protects nitrogen below ground where up to 70% of loss happens, keeping it in the root zone for up to eight additional weeks. And NSERV is shown to increase yield potential by an average of 7% when used with fall applications. Don't settle for anything less than the trusted protection of NSERV. For more information, visit nitrogenmaximizers.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are doing a special show today. We're broadcasting for the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. I had a meeting here with a group of farmers just talking about next year. And I know, I know if you're a non-farmer listening, you're like, wait a second, next year in South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, that doesn't that kind of start like in April and May? Yeah, it does. It's a ways away, but that's what we do as farmers. We start talking, about, all right, we got this crop off. How can we get the next one to be fantastic? And, you know, whenever you go to meetings, a lot of times you don't see people in the front row. We had plenty of people today brave enough to sit in the front row. They survived. In fact, well, they had to. We here. ran out of tables and chairs in the back. So. <laughs> well, there you go. That's how it works. All right, let's take the next question. To, to a man with a great hat, by the way, excellent hats. My name is Bryce uh, from Farm in Murray County, Minnesota. Um, you're talking about your warehouses are pretty full of chemicals right yep. now. Yep. Um, I'm a guy that's not really used to taking the chemicals till we <laughs> put them out there, but you mentioned if we could you know, bring them home today, tomorrow, um, that would be great. Uh, wondering if any of this stuff freezes. Yep. Great. Is that an issue? Great thought. Yep. Um, okay. So cold storage or let's warm. talk. Let's talk about that because there are a lot of people thinking the exact same way you are. And and of course in Minnesota you know it's going to freeze. You know it's going to get cold outside. What can you take home? Obviously seed. Uh, you don't have to worry about freezing. There are yep. dry chemicals like I know we had some questions about the dry formulation of Valor and and uh, so forth. Yeah, you can take those kinds of things home, yep. but the liquids is where all the concerns at. Yep, and with the liquids, you basically just have to ask because there are some that are freezable and some that are not. So, and let's just give you the example too of like Roundup. Technically that can freeze, but it comes back into suspension just fine. My fear though is let's say it's in a poly tank, okay? Um, that I you have to move every once in a while because... Even if you don't have, you have to move it, space. if you happen to bump into it with something and it's 20 below zero, it's 
probably not the greatest thing. And the last thing you want to have happen is a tank, get a crack in it or something like that. So, yeah, we have to be careful about what we're saying or what we're recommending to people and taking product home if you don't have heated storage. But the other thing to be thinking about is if you, let's say you don't want to take it or can't take it now because you don't have any heated storage, at least pick stuff up on the early side in the spring. Uh, so a lot of people are really fearful that they won't get the price that they were promised. And by picking it up, then they know they got the price. They know they got the product because what happened, and this is one of our, this is one of our topics earlier in the day in our industry. So Darren and I have been involved in this our whole lives, farm, been agronomist forever. And it's our industry's always operated one way where basically you prepay and you lock in a price and you're done. And this is what retailers do as well. Well, this last year, retailers, uh, they thought they locked in a price, and it seemed like almost every manufacturer declared what's called force majeure, where it was an act of God, and we can't honor our contract with you. I don't think that's right, and I don't think that it was uh, an act of God. I think it was a lot of management decisions that led to the problems that we had this last spring. But nevertheless, retailers... Uh, got shorted by manufacturer by many different manufacturers, not all, but many. And so they didn't either get their price or didn't get their product. Well, now, because everybody went through that last spring, uh, most retailers are just saying, look, unless we have it, we aren't even going to sell it to you because we just, we don't know. We can't trust these companies that we'd worked with forever because they all, I shouldn't say all, many of them uh, did something that we didn't think was right last year. So yeah, things at least for now are a little bit different. So for everybody listening and everybody here in our audience today, I just encourage you, you know, try to lock things in as early as possible because prices are only going to go up. Now, I don't think they're going to go up a tremendous amount, but for certain items, they might. So you just want to get ahead of it. And if nothing else, at least whatever retailer you're working with, just make sure that they've got the product on hand and are holding that product for you. And if they can't hold that product specifically for you, then you, you got to take it physically, f do something with it, find a neighbor that can hold it for you, whatever, so you know you have it. Because the last thing you want to have happen is, I, I mean, so Darren started our show today talking about, um, you know, a lot of these issues in agriculture. Well, I'm excited for this, this 2022 year. I look at the fall price already of corn and of beans, and I'm going... We, if we just get even normal rainfall, I think we have a chance to make great money on the farm unless what? Unless we can't get the stuff we need to kill the weeds, the insects, or diseases. So I'm in the same boat too. I'm going, I want to make sure I have this stuff for our farm so we have a great crop. Yep, good question. You know, Brian, another thing that came up too, and we talk about tiling a lot, and I know it's always risky for me to bring that up to you on a one-hour show that we're going to have enough time to get through uh, <laughs> what you want to talk about there. But one thing very interesting came up this fall, and I was talking to a group of folks at, at a university who were really focused on these saline soils. And they said, you know what, I know you guys talk a lot about tiling, Here's one of the reasons that we need it that you may not be aware of. Did you realize the problem that saline soils have of putting out nitrous oxide into the air? And I said, well, I didn't really realize how bad of a problem it, that is. How, how big of a problem is that? And, and what can we do to fix it? Okay, so before I get to that, let me just step back for a second. It feels like anytime you turn on the TV, uh, you will hear somebody talking about climate change. I'm getting, I gotta be honest, I'm getting so sick of hearing about climate change and maybe you are too. 
But the fact of the matter is this. As farmers, we have the answer. So if people are serious about, oh, we want uh, less carbon dioxide, which is the number one greenhouse gas, if they want less carbon dioxide in the air, what do they need to do? They need to support us as farmers, because if we get higher yields, we pull more CO2 out of the air. Okay, so CO2 is the number one greenhouse gas everybody talks about. But did you know that nitrous oxide is actually 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas? Think about that, 300 times. And uh, to Darren's point here, in saline soils, nitrous oxide discharge can be 40 or 50 times more than in non-saline soils. So what a saline soil is, it's basically a salty soil. If your salt levels are high, then you have a saline soil. It's that simple. The good news is salts are leachable. So if we have good drainage and just normal moisture over time, that salt will leach out. So that's awesome. We eliminate the saline soil problem, but we have to improve our drainage. So the two main things we talk about in terms of improving drainage, one is you gotta make sure you have good calcium levels. So 65 to 75%, something like that. And two, in a lot of cases, you just flat out need some drain tile. So we, we have been talking about this drain tile thing for years and it's great. I mean, if you're a farmer who has tile in like we do, you know what a difference that makes. Your soil is a lot healthier in the long term because your microbes aren't dying every year from excess moisture. You gotta have air in that soil and then your microbes can live, you have more plant growth, more yield, more yield all means less carbon dioxide in the air and everything's great. But yeah, to Darren's point, I didn't realize this about the saline thing that we're getting so much nitrous oxide discharge out of those types of soils. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a big, big deal. And I know we've got a warmer than normal fall, at least so far. It's been really great. There's still a lot of farmers that, that are here today that had said, boy, I saw a lot of people out doing some tiling work in the fields yet. And, and we are on our farm as well. We've got more tile that we got to get in the ground. We don't have any real bad saline issues, fortunately, on our farm, but we don't want to have them either. And that's the way you get we them had in a some. lot of cases is you don't fix those problems. They build up over right. time. Right, yeah, we had some that were getting there where our yields were going down, and we had some spots that were almost no yield for a little while, and you could see white on the soil surface and everything, and it's like, ooh, this is not good. And then we started tiling on our farm. We bought our first tile plow in 2007, so it's been 14 years ago now, and it's the best money that we've ever spent on the farm. It's awesome. So anyway, it's just, it's made such a difference. And we don't have to, like in our area, we have uh, rolling hills. So we don't have to tile every single acre, but we got to, we have to tile in those areas and then it solves that problem. I like to be a smart aleck sometimes. And it's fun when you talk to, uh, to other folks who say, I don't know about this tiling thing. I don't know if this is such a great deal. And I'm like, well, how's your tile working? And they're like, what? And I said, well, do you live in a house? Well, yeah, I live in a house. Well, yeah. Well, how's your tile? Well, what do you mean? Well, you got tile right around your house. How's it working? What are you talking about? I said, well, do you have any water in your basement? Well, no. Well, well, good. I'm glad to hear your tile's working. Does your sump pump ever run? And a lot of folks say, well, yeah, every once in a while it runs. Great. Do you know what feeds that sump pump? It's the tile around your house. You're controlling the water table at home. That's what we're trying to do out on the farm too, except we've got more land that we have to take care of than you do. You've got, you know, whatever. Maybe you've got a half an acre yard or maybe you've got a one acre yard. You've got a big yard. You've got to take care of that. We've got to take care of thousands of acres out there. We're, we're, we have such a big impact on the environment. We're just trying to do the best we can. 
All right, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. Uh, a lot of nitrogen, uh, a lot of uh, talk about going into this next year and some of the challenges that we've got. But again, we're super excited about the opportunity for 2022. Thanks for listening to our radio program today. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.